0: Sales speaker, business coach, president and CEO of Business Beyond Limits. Wendy Y, welcome to Accelerate.
1: Wow, thank you so much, Andy. I appreciate the opportunity to, to chat with
0: you today. So I just so people understand that I'm not asking you a question all the time, is so tell me a little bit about the the branding, the Wendy Y Bailey, um, just so we don't confuse people as we go through the show.
1: Well, I've been in the, the coaching business for a little more than 14 years, and when I came online, I started to do some research to see who also was Wendy Bailey in the online market space, and when I went to LinkedIn, there were more than 25 Wendy Baileys, so I had to find a way to distinguish myself, so I used my middle initial, the first letter of my, my middle name, and that's why. It's interesting that today there are more than 249 Wendy Bailey's on LinkedIn. Like, I looked it up. Uh-huh. I, wow, I'm glad I adopted the branding <laughs> Otherwise, I would be buried in Wendy Bailey's. So, can I ask what the Y stands for? Sure, it stands for Yvonne. Yvonne, okay,
0: great. Mm-hmm. Alright, so we started a little bit of digression there, but hey, just take a minute, introduce yourself a little bit. And you know, How would you get your start in business?
1: Well, uh, I was working in information technology. I was a senior manager for um, a Fortune 500 company. And I was the last remaining female senior manager in my division. And if you can imagine, that came with all kinds of challenges and interesting opportunities. And
0: well, the first, I, the first question is what happened to the rest of them?
1: Well, they were systematically eliminated or moved into other areas of the company, and you know I hate to say it that way, but that's kind of what happened. And I had decided that even though I felt a little battered and bruised daily by my male counterparts, Mm -hmm. I tough it out. And what's that expression when you, if you want to see God laugh, just make plans. Right, right. As soon as I made that decision, about two weeks later, I was voted off the island. (laughs)
0: Happened to all of us.
1: Yeah, yeah, it it absolutely does. And 14 years ago, 15 years ago now, if you can imagine, it was really rampant in the IT. Sure,
0: yeah, the bubble just burst and right.
1: The dot coms were going away, they were going under quickly, even though they had risen quickly, they were you know, folding very quickly. So what I did, Andy, at that time was I decided, okay, look, I don't want to really go back to work for another corporation. I really want to take this time, invest the energy to figure out who I want to be when I grow up. And the more I looked at my life and what I had enjoyed doing and the things that I was particularly good at in my career, all roads for me led to coaching. So then I went out and I got trained as a coach and I started to hang my shingle out, so to speak, in June of 2002. Like Um, I love what I do. I haven't looked back at all.
0: Well, do you feel like you've grown up?
1: I feel like I'm still growing, but I'm a lot farther than I used to be. Like, when I was in corporate America, that wasn't the, the big girl that I wanted to be. I think now I'm definitely more of the, the big girl, the growing up girl that I've always wanted to be. Well, yeah, because on, I have a level of freedom than I, that I didn't have. At that sure.
0: Time. Well, so you've had to stand on your own two feet. I mean, it's not like you weren't before, but I mean, there's a lot that comes along with working in a big corporation that you don't have when you're, on, you're running your own business.
1: Yeah, part of it um, has to do with, a lot of it has to do, Andy, with being in a place where I can make decisions very easily without a whole lot of red tape. That doesn't make the decision easier what happens is um the responsibility being all mine, I also get to change and shift as I need to when the decision or the choice that I make is challenging in some way. So that's the biggest distinction I would make. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So when you started your own company, what was the sort of hole in the market or the customer demand that you were filling?
1: Well you're gonna appreciate the humor of this because when I started in the market I just knew I was doing something. I built my own website and that was a big deal for me. And I had a friend to look at it and tell me what he thought of it. And he said, well, you know, it looks pretty and you've got great words on it, but it is so about you. And if you really want to be a part of this entrepreneurial journey, it's got to be about somebody else as in who you're going to serve. That was a turning point for me, Andy. And I got to tell you, after that, I started looking for the holes. And initially, I coached people who looked like I used to look, as in they were in a professional position, in a corporation, in a business, whatever that looked like, and they had like a side gig that they were trying to build as a business. So I created, co-created with them their exit strategies and helped them put their marketing and sales messaging in place and... Then I sort of evolved because coaches kept coming to me and saying, how did you do this? And what did you do when this happened? And So I became the coach's coach. And then I learned neuro-linguistic programming. I got some professional training there and got certified. And what I discovered is I loved what NLP did for me in my group coaching experiences.
0: So, So So explain for people what NLP is for those people who are not familiar with it.
1: Okay, sure. NLP is an acronym for neurolinguistic Linguistic Programming. And most people recognize NLP from one of the original NLP masters. He was one of the original students of the people who really sort of developed NLP, and that's Tony Robbins. So NLP, this is the Wendy Y definition, has three parts. The first part is the neural piece, the second part is the linguistics piece, And the third part is the programming piece. The neuro piece says that no matter who you are as a human, you process all all information that comes into your brain through your five senses. So taste, touch, sight, smell, and sound. And the the tactile or the touch is not just external touch. It's also like an internal experience, so feelings as well. So knowing that, that's the first part. The second part is the linguistics part. When you think of linguistics, you say language. And language, most people see as words. In NLP, linguistics really is a broader definition than words. It's also smells and colors and feelings and behaviors and beliefs and attitudes and emotions. So all of that goes into what language means or linguistics means. And the third part is programming. Programming says that everyone has a certain way that they learn and they process that information that I just described. Mm -hmm. And when you understand what that order is, you, me, any other coach or person can really help them achieve more faster because you speak a language that accelerates their ability to accomplish everything.
0: So, give us an example of that.
1: Um, An example of that would be, I have clients who come to me all the time, and typically they are kind of stuck in whatever it is. Marketing is typical. Marketing is like really, really typical, especially for coaches. And they come to me and they say, wow, I really don't know I don't feel comfortable doing this marketing. I don't feel comfortable saying these things. They're not my words. This is what people keep telling me I need to do, and it's just not working for me. So what I do is I listen to them. I talk to them. I really sort of do an assessment to determine what their coding is, how they learn, how they language. And based on where they fall, I guide them and direct them so that they can communicate in a way that speaks to people who are like them or people who are not like them who their solution or their message is truly for. Does that make sense? Sure.
0: So, yeah, I was just thinking that we have a sales audience largely that listens to the show. So, so from a sales perspective, then what you're saying is that NLP enables you to better communicate with your prospects?
1: Without question. Yeah, without question. The way that I like to look at NLP is it's almost like someone who speaks Spanish. When you speak Spanish, when you come in contact with other people who speak Spanish, then you've got an immediate connection. Like there's instant rapport that happens. Well, the same thing happens with NLP. When you meet someone who speaks that language that you speak, then you can connect with them more deeply. And it really does lead very successfully to sales conversions.
0: Okay. So one of the things I wanted to touch bases with you on here today is is something you've written recently, which I think is really a key to amping up your sales, which is uh, you talk about upgrading your ideal client. And I think that's such a a key message for so many people because they sort of I think sort of half-heartedly come up with their ICP in the first place yeah. and then don't really dig in to make sure that that's really somebody that's going to be a long-term fit for them. So, when you were talking about upgrading an ideal client profile, your ideal client, sort of what was driving that and what are some of the most common failings you see that you know salespeople do in this area?
1: Well, one of the things that I think Especially when you're first getting started. Let me start to paint a picture of when you're first getting started and kind of where you evolved to over time as a salesperson. And if you're in business, you're in the business of selling. Let me just say that. So when you first get started and you start looking at your ideal client, your ideal client tends to look like you. And because that ideal client looks like you, you feel like you can speak to that ideal client and say a whole lot of different things to that ideal client. But what you're missing in that whole evaluation of the ideal client is a real picture of what's keeping her up at night, what challenges or problems she's experiencing. And that deep rapport connection around language is how you tune into that. Well,
0: so, But why is that the case if they're more likely? Why, if they're more likely, if they're similar to you, why, why then are you missing what's really keeping them up at night?
1: Because we tend to see the world as we are not as the world is. NLP and upgrading your ideal client is about recognizing you've got to look at your ideal client through their own eyes. So it's, it's taking the focus off of you and putting it more on your ideal client and what her needs are, and what her challenges are, and where the opportunities are to serve her and to support her, and, and give her solutions and opportunities there. So, what's?
0: The, <clears throat> excuse me. What's the key then to identifying correctly identifying your ICP, your ideal client profile?
1: I I think it's okay to start with where you are, but you know, ap- over time, think of it this way, Andy. If you draw a horizontal line and you look at that as a continuum, you might see yourself at the right end of that continuum sort of growing and really evolving and very clear on who you want to work with and who you serve and what you serve them around. And then there are people who are toward the left end of that continuum who are still kind of trying to figure it out. They look familiar to you because you've kind of been there, done that. If you look at the gap between where you are at the right and where they are at the left, there's so many opportunities with, on that continuum for you to serve your ideal clients more fully. So looking at it that way, you can see from whence you've come, there are opportunities to, to work with your ideal clients in a big way. And it, it really does end up being a rich experience when you view it that way.
0: Well, at its heart, though, there still has to be a product-market fit, though, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so, absolutely.
0: So, which do you start with, the fit or this, the continuum?
1: I think all of us eventually start with the the continuum. And then I think over time, we find that sweet spot, which is really the, the good fit that we've been looking for. You know? And a lot of people, unfortunately want to serve people who are not necessarily their ideal clients and what i mean by that is you want to help people who really can't afford to pay you you want to help people that may look a little like your ideal client but there's something really off in them being truly ideal for you and here's one that i talk to my clients a lot about your ideal client is always 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 ready willing and able to invest in working with you through your programs through your services through your products always hmm
0: i mean that's i mean i, I, I don't necessarily disagree i mean i think it's an interesting way of putting it i mean i i often say and have said in my books that if you lose a deal to a competitor then the buyer wasn't qualified to buy your product or service mm-hmm. Which is sort of the same thing. Is is they have to? You're saying they have to be really ready to buy exactly what you're selling,
1: right? And I think when you upgrade your ideal client, you have that clarity, so you don't spend a lot of time spinning your wheels working with people who aren't ready.
0: Well, the clarity goes both ways. That so you're able to communicate clearly to the prospect. This is what you do. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's the part I think that's uh, so often missing when people are trying to identify and work with their ideal clients is that they're not really clear with them exactly what constitutes an ideal, <laughs> what they're offering is that makes them an ideal client.
1: Yeah, because what happens is some people are um, hungry, if you will, for clients. I've been there, I've done that, I know what it means to be hungry for clients, but when you're not clear, like you don't have that upgrade of your ideal client that we've been talking about, you will work with any old body, and it shows up in in different ways, for example, I remember years ago having a client, and I was hungry and allowed her to hire me and I'll put it that way because mm-hmm. I, but every coaching session we jumped on, and it was via telephone, but every conversation, every session. I almost had this feeling, Andy, that she was taking her earrings off and she was greasing her face down because she was getting ready to come in fighting. And it was all about helping her. And I thought, how can you show up ready to fight me like being in such resistance around the work we're doing when you're you've invested in hiring me as your coach? And ultimately, it became clear to both of us that she was not my ideal client. I was not her ideal coach, she was not ready for coaching, and it just made sense for us to part ways. That's like an extreme scenario, but if you're not in alignment from a values values perspective with your most ideal clients, you can have those kind of experiences. If your ideal clients show up and they don't really value what you offer, it can be a challenging place to be in serving them and supporting them. If they are not clear, like you said before, on how you can support and serve them, there's always going to be a question for them if you're the right person for them. So it's communication, but it's also reality-based on whether they're ready and if they're the right person and if you're the right person to serve them as well. A lot goes into it, Andy. So
0: when you say values align, now what values, because yeah. You know, people are prospecting for new, pros- new clients, new customers every day. I suspect a very small percentage of sales reps are thinking about this from a values perspective. So what is, what is the values you're saying have to be in alignment?
1: I think that very simply, it can be punctuality. It can be the language they use when they speak to you. And in this case, I'm talking about words. You ever been around someone, for example, and they tell off-color jokes? Yeah. That's an indication, if it bothered you, that your values are out of alignment. So there are some opportunities for you to kind of get to know if it's a client that you want to work with. Now, I'm speaking of it from coaching, from a coaching perspective. But let me say that no matter who's listening to this, as a salesperson, you're always working with one person at a time. Whether it's a big business, big corporation, it all starts with that contact, that prospect that you make connection with. So you've got to kind of know how you connect with them. If you guys think the same way, if they show up and value your time, that's the punctuality piece. If they look at you and connect with you in a way that says, I respect you, you know what respect looks like and what it means to you. And if your values are aligned, they do too because it shows up in your interaction.
0: Alright, so here's an interesting scenario, I'll run by you, because this was something I'd heard about recently, is let's say you're a salesperson, you're working for a company, and you're out selling your company's products, and you encounter a prospect who is completely qualified for you know, your product, your service, You know, from a fit market fit standpoint, the value they'd get from it would be in alignment, but yeah, there is this issue. Is then we'll say maybe the person told a, an offensive joke. The prospect told an offensive joke, uh, or made an offensive comment, and so the salesperson sort of feels like they're in a little bit of a quandary. Is you know they've got an obligation to their company. This is a willing prospect that by other means seems to be qualified, but they find the person offensive. Right, their values aren't aligned. What what do you counsel people in that sort of situation?
1: Well, I'm an idealist. I'll say that. And ideally, what you do is you challenge what the person said or shared in the way of that off-color joke, and you invite them to do something different. Now, here's the way that looks. Like, that sounds really simple. Wow, you know, Tom, I, you know, I heard the joke, and I want to let you know that it, it really is a little uncomfortable for me. So I'm good with us continuing to move forward in our conversations, but I'd, I'd really love it if we could keep the off-color jokes out of our interactions. Is that okay with you? Sounds like a really tough thing to say, but I believe you've got to stand your ground because life isn't about the money. Life isn't about that. And Tom, I got to tell you, we'll respect that. If he's really a a, a guy about business, he'll respect you for saying that. Now, Tom may not be that guy who respects you for saying it, and he may get alarmed and upset and kick you out of his office. That's an extreme, but I'm not saying it it won't happen and it can't happen. You just have to be prepared. And again, I'm an idealist, Andy. I believe you've got to stand for something or you, you will fall for anything and everything.
0: Oh, I agree. And it's an interesting conundrum, though, right? Because you know, then the sales yeah. rep has to go back to their boss and say, "Yeah, you're right, great prospect. We thought we were this was a good opportunity, but you, know, this guy's just a jerk." Mm-hmm. And you know I've seen some bosses that do the right things and say, "Yeah, great. It's a big world, lots of efficiency, go find the new one." I've seen others that haven't, uh, haven't been quite as sympathetic.
1: Yeah. I think that you have to pick and choose your battles. Some of them you can bow out of without ever having to, to challenge what Tom said in that situation, and others you really need to let Tom know where the boundaries are of your relationship. Right. Because whether you're in sales or you're just a human walking the planet, you've got to observe your boundaries and challenge people to honor them if they encroach.
0: Yeah, and as you said, you have to stand for something. right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's part of who you are as an individual. It's part of what's going to make you succeed.
1: Right. That's
0: right. All right. So, one last point I wanted to make, or not point I want to make, but question I wanted to ask was was, so you say ultimately, though, it's not always about price or product with the customers, it's about the mindset of the customer. So, what what mindset are you referring to?
1: Um, When I think of the mindset of your customer, it's got to be, and I'm going to use the word again and then I'll explain it, it's got to be in alignment. With what your product or your program or your service stands for, you know it's sort of the the scenario where you show up with something that is truly your baby, your product, your program or your service, and your client or your prospect has a totally different intention for what they 're going to do with it, and all of a sudden you like you're like, oh my gosh you 're going to do that with my baby." <sighs> You're going to do what with my baby? Because again, it's your program, your product, or your service. And this becomes real clear in the entrepreneurial world. You've got to be clear that your prospect is going to value your baby in the way you intended. Otherwise, they're just not ideal. Otherwise, they're just not ideal. And you will know if they're going to value what you serve in the right way. And I'm not saying turn your mind off or turn your brain off to opportunities for different uses of your programs and services. Yeah, I was going to
0: say it because what the situation described is something that actually could open a door to something, a great opportunity.
1: Oh yeah, no, I'm not saying that. What I'm suggesting is that you remain clear on the value that you're bringing to the marketplace and that that mindset of your prospect is in alignment with that. So the opportunities may be there to do something you didn't think of or hadn't occurred to you before. Be open to those, but recognize that if it's going like down a dark path, it's up to you to challenge the client, the prospect, to look at it differently and to incorporate the value you designed it to have Mm -hmm. into how they use it.
0: I agree. So now we get to the segment of the show where I've got some standard questions I ask all my guests. And the first one is a hypothetical scenario. And in the scenario, uh, you, Wendy, why, have just been hired as a VP of sales at a company whose sales have stalled out. And the CEO is, you know, you're going back to work for a company, not that you want to, but the uh, <laughs> CEO, CEO of the company is really anxious to get things turned around. And you know, obviously a sales turnaround doesn't happen in one day, but You're in charge. So, what two steps could you take your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact?
1: Um, Depending on the size of the the sales staff and the sales force, I would want to spend some time kind of seeing what already is. You know, what's already in place, what they're already doing. So, sort of evaluate it from that. Here we are now. Where we want to go? What are the gaps? I think that's the first step. The Mm. second step would be to understand that there are some people, places, and resources that will stay in place, but be open and flexible about those that may not really be in the right place for that kind of growth that we're trying to transition to.
0: And what's the future for them?
1: The future for them is maybe they transition into other Positions in the company, maybe they position out of the company. You've got to look at whatever is possible in that scenario. When I was working in corporate America, Andy, one of the things that I was clear on, even then before coaching became my life and my lifestyle, was that sometimes people are not necessarily in the right positions. They're not working in their gifts. They're not even working in what they're remotely interested in doing and being. It shows up sometimes as a bad attitude, it shows up as a, a bad track record in, in performance. As a manager, VP of sales, whatever the role is, you've got to be open to looking at that with them and helping them make the transition. Here's a quick example. When I was a corporate manager, I had um, a staff member and he was he reported to me along with four other technical project managers. And another uh, person who managed a whole department, and I noticed that he was really struggling in his performance. He was really challenged with writing reports, getting them done on time. He was fine in front of the customers because we were a small business facing unit or department. But when it came time to the the back end work, he just really struggled there. so I watched him for a while. And what became aware, what I became aware of was that he had a problem with with dyslexia. So I called him in my office and we talked about it. And he, he informed me then that it wasn't the first time that he had had trouble with it. And we put together a plan that would get him the support he needed to sort of retrain his brain. Because he had been out of touch with someone who could provide that level of support to him. Mm -hmm. So we plugged him back into that and it made a difference in in his performance. As a VP of sales, as a manager, you've always got to be aware of the opportunities to serve and support your employees. But you've also got to be aware of the problem children, so to speak, or the problem areas that may not be people related, it may be the wrong tool or the wrong resource. the wrong process. You've got to be open to looking at letting those go so that you can make way for the things that will make the business run better. And sales, in that case, increase. Okay,
0: good answer. So, now we've got some rapid fire questions. You can give me one word answers or elaborate if you wish. Now, the first one is when you, Wendy Y., are out selling your own services, what's your most powerful sales attribute?
1: Compassion. Who's your sales role model? Hmm. My mom. Ah, why? <laughs> my mom is, and both my mother and my father were, have been entrepreneurs. My mom is still living. My father's deceased, but they both have like an entrepreneurial spirit. And what I see my mom doing is making sure that whatever she does is always about service. It's always about caring. She's um, a retired nutrition manager for an educational school mm-hmm. like a system. And in her retirement, she became more of a caterer. She's 85 years old now, and she still does like little things to help people, to support people, to serve people. And her goal in doing like a little reception for someone is to make sure there's plenty of food, that they don't ever run out, that it's always beautiful, it's always um, plentiful, it's always uh, tasty. So all of those things to me are about care.
0: Yeah. And I've
1: learned that from her. And as a result, even at 85, she still gets calls from people saying, can you do this little thing for me or can you do that? And she says, yes. (laughs) Sometimes she says no, but the the point is, her service has really been a model of of an example for me.
0: Excellent. Excellent. I like that. All right. So, what's one book you'd recommend every salesperson read?
1: Mm. Uh, The Hero's Journey, Joseph Campbell.
0: Oh, I love that book. That's Mm -hmm. the first time somebody's recommended that one. Why that one?
1: Because I think it shows the ebbs and flows not just of life but your world as a salesperson. One of my signature talks is the mindset of a sales leader and in the hero's journey, he kind of takes you through the ebbs and flows so that you understand what's really meaningful and what's really powerful no matter where you are in the journey is your mindset.
0: Yeah, Joseph Campbell, always a Good recommendation. Excellent. The Power of Myth as well. Another great one. Uh, okay, last question for you is what's, what's on your playlist these days? What music are you listening to?
1: Ooh, there's a, a song called, um, oh gosh, it's ringing in my head, uh, Can I Keep You in Mind? It's like an R&B mm-hmm. song, and I'm a Chicago style stepper which is like a slow swing that came out of the Lindy Hop and the bop of the 30s, 40s, and 50s in Chicago. Right. And uh, it is a great stepping song to dance to. So it's kind of smooth. It's kind of got a really thumping beat at the same time. That's what's on my playlist right now. Now, That's a big one for me right now. (laughs) Okay. And, And then one more thing. Sure. Love, um, New Edition has a new song, too, that we dance to. It's, um, I can't call the name of it, but it's a new New Edition song. And anything that New Edition is doing today, 20-something years after they hit the the airways, is gold for me.
0: (laughs) We all love nostalgia. So, it sounds like you're very involved in dancing.
1: I am. It is my passion. It is like something I love doing.
0: So, are you part of a group that does it?
1: Oh yeah, and I actually travel around the country. I'm not a competitive dancer, but I travel around the country. Whenever I'm in a city, I always want to know where they're stepping. Really? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, oh, yeah. Sometimes they have communities, you know, that are vibrant and thriving and sometimes they don't. But the thing that I love about being part of this community is it's easy for me to pick up the phone, call someone that I know in the Atlanta area and say, hey, I'm going to be in Indianapolis, which I was uh, last month. Who do I talk to there? And have them say, here's the person you talk to. I reach out to that person. They say, hey, here's where we're going to be stepping on Friday while you're here. Come on out. No, I like it. Cool. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful community.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Well, when do I Thank you very much for being on the show today.
1: Thank you so much for the opportunity, Andy. I appreciate it. So, tell folks how they
0: can find out some more about you.
1: Well, you can go to businessbeyondlimits.com. That's businessbeyondlimits.com. I have plenty of no-cost resources as well as some events and programs and services that are available, too.
0: Excellent. Great. Well, again, thank you for being on the show. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And an easy way to do that is to make this podcast Accelerate a part of your daily routine. Listen in your commute, in the gym, or make it part of your morning sales meeting. That way, you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Wendy Y. Bailey, who shared her expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So, thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.